In today's episode, we're going over case study of a rotator cuff repair and a CrossFit coach. So rotator cuff repairs are one of the most common surgeries out there, right? Um, but I don't think there are very many physical therapists who are actually sharing the nitty gritty of what they do from kind of step one, all the way up to step 10, back to return to sport and everything along those lines. Uh, what I wanted to do today for you is to give you an inside glimpse into how I rehabilitate folks after rotator cuff repair. So it's going to be in a CrossFitter as well as a CrossFit coach. So in today's episode, we're going to be going over an initial diagnosis of what this individual had before going on to get surgery. What was the mechanism of injury? How did they get hurt? What was the actual relevance to rehabilitation, right? Sometimes that mechanism of injury is going to be important for how we rehab. What was the person's prior injury history and how did that reflect into rehabilitation? Who do we decide on in terms of a surgeon? We'll talk a little bit about the surgery specifics. So what type of rotator cuff tear was it? What was the repair? Was there any concomitant pathology, right? Was there any arthritis or anything else going on inside that thing? Uh, what did our early physical therapy care look like? What did it look like as we started to advance over the course of time? How do we discharge? How do we return back to CrossFit over the course of time? We'll go over all that stuff. Welcome to the Fitness Pain-Free Show. This is where we help coaches and physical therapists like yourself get your patients out of pain and back to training. My name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist, coach, personal trainer, and a meathead. I have my dream job as a physical therapist, coach, business owner, and educator, and I've been doing this for several decades now. I want to help you reach your goals when it comes to coaching and being a better clinician. Before we really get going, I want to tell you about a free download I have for you that's going to allow you to understand this pathology inside and out. It is a rotator cuff pathology cheat sheet. I will leave a link in the show notes so you can definitely go ahead and download that and get started. We go over evidence-based treatment of the rotator cuff with tendinopathy, as well as rotator cuff tears. We go over the prevalence of these injuries. We go over anatomy, mechanisms of injury. We go over the clinical presentation of these. We go over evaluation and diagnosis, as well as treatment strategies, and also surgical considerations. Who should go on to get surgery after rotator cuff tear, and who shouldn't? So I will leave a link in the show notes. Definitely go download this now for free. This is part two on our case study of a rotator cuff repair. If you haven't watched part one yet, go back and listen to it. I will put a link in the show notes for it. So what was the plan of care with Brian? We started off with two times a week with physical therapy. Then I gave him a home exercise program to do on his off days, right? And our decision was kind of, all right, well, two days a week, one to two days a week is probably a good place to start. And if we're noticing that you have more pain or you're getting really, really stiff, we can always increase the frequency of physical therapy. But generally speaking, I'll start with one or two days a week. If things are going really well, we can maintain that or do a little less. And if things are not going well, we can always bump up the frequency of physical therapy. So we ended up continuing with physical therapy two times a week for about the first 12 weeks. And then there on out, we did PT one times a week up until about the nine month mark. And I think we had a few intermittent visits at the very end there, close to the year mark. But largely, that's how we ended up doing our physical therapy. So one of the biggest goals between week two and week eight was to restore range of motion. And we spent around about 30 minutes per session strictly working on range of motion. Okay. Now keep in mind that these sessions were really, really boring, mostly because we weren't able to do much. We're trying to protect the rotator cuff repair and just make sure we put, aren't putting too much stress through there. So what we're left to do is a lot of passive range of motion working on things like pain, trying to improve mobility at the shoulder, right? So essentially at the start of every session, I would measure range of motion because I want to get an idea of how the shoulder looks cold. 
because oftentimes we only take measurements after we mobilize the shoulder. And it's really not a great reflection of how the shoulder normally is in terms of stiffness, right? And basically, we'll use range of motion as a guide in terms of how hard we need to push and in terms of prescribing exercise from a home exercise standpoint. So let's say if you're getting more stiff, then maybe we're overdoing it with exercises. You can also make the argument that if you're not making progress with range of motion, we can always incorporate more exercises at home. So in terms of soft tissue mobility, what muscles were we focusing on? We're focused on the lats, teres major, all very important for overhead mobility. We worked on the posterior cuff, which is going to be helpful for improving internal rotation range of motion. We worked on the upper trap, levator scapulae. One of the major reasons we put effort there is just because after you have a cuff repair and the shoulder joint doesn't want to do its job, upper trap is usually overactive, plus you're in a sling stuck in one position for a long period of time. These folks tend to have a lot of shoulder pain, a lot of tightness in the upper trap, levator scap. They usually find a lot of relief by working on that area. I also work a bit on the pecs, the delt, as well as the subscap. So those muscles are also going to limit range of motion. In terms of range of motion, we really worked all directions, right? Um, the thing is, we just have to be a little bit careful with internal rotation range of motion. We have to be a little bit careful with extension range of motion. We have a bit of research coming from Segroy et al. in 2018 that going into internal rotation with your mobility is going to increase stress on the rotator cuff. So we just have to be cautious when we're trying to push that direction. And the other thing I will say is that uh, extension tends to be this forgotten range of motion within the shoulder joint and physical therapy. For some reason, we work a ton of flexion, internal rotation, external rotation, and then we just forget that extension exists. So just make sure that that movement is on your radar and you're assessing it just like you're assessing any other movement, right? Uh, early on, I was also a fan of doing joint mobilizations. So I focused more on posterior and inferior mobility, which generally helps with overhead. So flexion, abduction, mobility, also some global distraction. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of anterior shoulder mobs. I personally find these to be a bit provocative. Uh, they are in theory supposed to improve shoulder external rotation. So you can make the argument that if someone's very stiff into external rotation, you do some more anterior mobs, but keep in mind, they can be provocative, right? Basically, with mobility exercises and Brian, we continued until about uh, week 10. Because what we found is that at week 10, he actually had more range of motion on the surgical side than the non-surgical side. And like I said in the past, the right side historically had more mobility than the left. So after a period of time, we ended up switching gears and we actually prescribed a few mobility exercises for the left side. Because that was limiting things like his front rack and overhead mobility eventually, right? So essentially, we worked on range of motion until it was actually pretty good. And then we substantially backed off of the amount of mobility work we did over the course of time. So what did the home exercise program look like, right? And this was the home exercise program between week two and week eight. And I think it's worthwhile to mention a little bit of research about um, how much stress certain physical therapy exercises place on the rotator cuff repair. Now, generally speaking, and you can read this study if you'd like to, Edwards et al. in 2021 they note that around 15% or less EMG of the supraspinatus. So if you take someone and do a full can exercise isometrically and have them push as hard as they possibly can, that would give you 100% MVIC of the supraspinatus. And then basically, we want to make sure that when we prescribe exercises, we use ones that are less than 15% EMG. And we have a decent amount of research at different exercises to see just how much stress each exercise places on the rotator cuff repair, right? And then we can use that information to decide which exercises are safe and which ones are probably going to be a little bit too much.
Okay. So in this study by Edwards et al. in 2021, the only movements that didn't put too much stress on the rotator cuff, so they were below that, 50, excuse me, 15% MVIC, were pendulum exercises and small pendulum exercises. The pendulum gets too big. It's actually a little too much stress on the rotator cuff tendon. Table slides, which is basically sitting next to a table and sliding the arm back and forth, which is largely consistent in active assist range of motion exercise, but it actually is less um, stress on the rotator cuff than other exercises that we consider passive range of motion. And then an assisted wall slide. So basically sliding your arm up the wall, but assisting with your opposite arm, right? Which honestly is, as a movement, that one freaks me out a little bit, but it's it's generally low stress on the supraspinatus. And the other piece, and we'll talk about this later, but we need to make sure that our uh, brain is not doing too much at home, right? And this is, I think, one of the reasons why it's good to have a sling early on. Because the stress on the rotator cuff can be actually pretty dang high during normal activities, right? And we'll give you—I'll give you a little bit of research later, so you can see exactly how much regular activities are. Um, but you know, to give you a little sneak peek, something like brushing your teeth is around 12% EMG of the cuff, so largely safe. Typing is around 7.5, but something as simple as drinking water is 21, which might be a little too much in the early stages after rotator cuff repair. Uh, so not only do you have to be really cautious about the movements we select in order to improve mobility, we also have to make sure that we educate our patients to say, hey, look, there are certain things that are probably okay to do at home, but there's other things that aren't, right? So we have to be on the lookout for that. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and rattle off a bunch of physical therapy exercises that are very common after rotator cuff repair in order to improve range of motion. These are generally considered either passive range of motion or active assist range of motion exercises. Uh, keep in mind, we're shooting for 15% MVIC or lower. I'm going to say these exercises in order of easiest to hardest. First one will be pendulums, and that's got an MVC, MVIC of 14. Table slides are 15. Assisted wall slides are also 15. Rock the baby in circumduction is 17. And I've done YouTube shorts on these exercises. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see what I'm actually talking about. Dallas-assisted external rotation standing is 18. Um, Dallas-assisted elevation is going to be 20. Pulleys, so standard pulleys after shoulder surgery are 20. Rock the baby into elevation is going to be 22. And just to give you a point of reference, active flexion is going to be 43% MVIC, and active abduction is going to be 48 MVIC. I apologize to the folks that are not watching this right now, but if you're going to be listening to this in a podcast, go ahead and go over to YouTube at some point or go over to Spotify and watch the video podcast of this so you can see what I'm talking about right now. We actually have images of all of those exercises, and I'll just read them off to you. So on the far top left, we have the pendulum next to it. That is the rock the baby circumduction. Next to that is rock the baby pendulum. Then we have our table slides. Then obviously you can see the pulleys. Then we have the assisted wall slide, the dowel assist elevation, and then dowel assist external rotation. Now I know that you know this is not the best way of describing these exercises. It's tough to see in a podcast format. That's why I made a video of these. So I have a YouTube short as well as Instagram reel of these exercises. I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can just check those out and see what those movements are. So guys, if you like what you're learning about so far, then I want you to go and check out the Fitness Pain-Free mini course. So I made a mini course. It's absolutely free. That's the next logical step if you want to learn more from me. 
So in the course, we go over five lessons. That first lesson is how traditional schooling has failed us, right? So schooling is phenomenal from a physical therapy perspective, but doesn't really teach you how to work with high-level athletes in the fitness world, right? Doesn't always teach you how to do the lifts appropriately. Doesn't teach you about progressions and regressions of common lifts within the gym. Doesn't teach you how to program normally, how to write rehab programs or how to write injury prevention programs for these folks. Next thing we go over, seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym, four simple steps to getting your clients out of pain, how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. It's all well and good if you know exactly how to work with folks within the gym. But if you can't get these folks through the door on a regular basis, then you're simply not going to be living the dream that you want to because you can't get the patients through the door that you want to work with. Okay, so I'll show you how to do that. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the fitness pain-free certification, right? So I'll leave a link in the show notes. I definitely recommend checking this out. Once you sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course, you will be automatically placed in the wait list for the fitness pain-free certification. Now, the Fitness Pain-Free Certification is the course, the certification that I wish I had as a new grad that fills in all the gaps in knowledge that you don't get in physical therapy school. So A, you'll gain complete confidence working with injuries in the strength and fitness world. You'll learn optimal technique for both health and performance from myself and some of the best coaches in the world. You'll master programming for rehabilitation and injury prevention. Have fun while earning a whole bunch of physical therapy and physical therapy assistance credits. You have 31.5 of those. You'll also gain NSCA credits as well as CrossFit credits if you need those. This is the equivalent of a university education in working with injuries in the weight room. I really believe that. I've been adding to this thing over the past five or six years. It's massive, a ton of phenomenal information. And lastly, the biggest goal is just to fill your day with the patients you love working with and building the respect and admiration of the communities you love working with. So I'll leave a link in the show notes, sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course. The certification is open four times per year for one week to enroll into. If you're on the wait list by signing up for the fitness pain-free mini course, I'll alert you when that next enrollment period is open and you can get started. Let's get back to the show now. So what are some of the principles about early range of motion exercises, exercises that I give in terms of the home exercise program? So for one, I try to educate folks about frequency over intensity, right? We're not trying to jam this shoulder into the end range. I really don't want to do that. I think that's probably going to put quite a bit of stress on that surgical repair. I think that's a bad thing, right? Uh, but we do want to very frequently move this, okay? So it's kind of low-level stretch where you feel a little bit of a pull, and then you back off. The big thing is we're trying not to blow through pain. I also think that if this shoulder ends up getting a little bit more stiff, I think that's probably good, right? So keep in mind, this was a large full thickness tear with retraction. So that's a that's one of those tears that has a high likelihood of re-tearing. We probably want that thing to stiffen up a little bit. We like to have a nice scar forming, making that nice and strong attachment to the bone and hopefully decreasing likelihood this re-tears over the course of time. In terms of how often I tell my patients to do these movements, I like to have them a couple times a day. So two or three times a day, maybe 10 or 15 repetitions each. So this was one of the most boring home exercise programs I think I've ever written, but essentially from week two to four, the movements that we used at home were pendulums, circumduction, and we also had some neck turning. So some side bending and some neck turning just because the neck was pretty painful in the beginning. Week four to eight, we added some PVC supine flexion. We added in some table slides, some ball rolling, and some assisted external rotation. So we had very low-level exercises up until week eight. 
And generally speaking, I ask Brian to do these two or three times a day, 10 to 15 repetitions. And I don't, I never really had to change the frequency just because his range of motion came back so well. It's pretty easy from that standpoint. So like I said, the other piece we had to educate Brian on is just how much stress goes through the rotator cuff with daily activities. Now, for one, Brian was wearing a sling at all times for the first four weeks, and that actually makes my job quite a bit easier because I know that they're probably not able to do as much on their own if the arm is kind of glued to their side and not able to use it for anything, right? So keep in mind our goal of having less than 15% MVIC on that rotator cuff repair in order to keep things safe, right? And also, uh, if you want to check out these studies, I'll leave them in the show notes. But essentially, I'm taking this information from Long et al. in 2010 from JOSPT. And they're looking at activation of the shoulder musculature during pendulum exercise and light activities, right? And largely, walking, using a mobilizer or not, is very low stress on the rotator cuff, less than 7% uh, MVIC. Do keep in mind that some folks will aggravate their shoulder and get a little bit flared up just because they walk too much, right? So if that's a 7% MVIC contraction, but you walk for five miles, that's a lot of repetition. And despite that being relatively low stress, it's a lot of reps. Sometimes that aggravates shoulders, right? So you just have to educate Brian about that. Don't go for any crazy walks or anything early on. Make sure we build a little bit of control within that joint, get a little stronger before you start incorporating more of that, right? Typing is also largely safe. That was 7.5% MVIC. Brushing your teeth is also safe as long as you're careful. That's going to be 12.1% MVIC or less. Once we get to drinking, it's too much, right? So if I just essentially take a, a glass of water and put it to my mouth and start drinking it, that's 21% MVIC. So a little too much stress on the cuff, right? So we want to try to limit drinking with that surgical side. Eating is kind of the same story. Eating is somewhere between 14 and 32%. So if I'm eating food, you know, pasta, whatever it is, that's going to be 14 to 32% MVIC, EMG of the supraspinatus. If I rest my elbow down onto the table and eat, it is better, okay? So if I go in the shower and start washing myself, washing my hair is the toughest thing for my shoulder, and that's 23 to 57% EMG of the supraspinatus, which actually is more than just doing abduction exercises, full can exercise, abduction exercises, right? If I lean forward to wash my hair, it's a bit better at 6% to 36%, but you still do risk putting too much stress on that tendon. Uh, so largely for the first eight weeks or so with Brian, we had to be quite cautious and I just had to educate him about this and just make sure he understands that we have to protect this. Like I said, he, he had a sling for so long and a mobilizer. It wasn't a huge concern for me. So what did PT start to look like at week eight through 10, right? Now I'm saying strength in quotes, just because we weren't really doing any strengthening at this point. We we're just very slowly incorporating a little bit more movement. Um, I was doing these exercises one, two times a day for about 10 to 15 repetitions. We're starting off with some basic isometrics, right? So six-way isometrics, kind of working all sides of the shoulder, flexion, extension, internal rotation, abduction, um, a deduction, and external rotation. So flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, external rotation, internal rotation. And essentially it's a very light contraction, 10 to 15% of max. We're really not pushing too much. At this point, we're incorporating a little bit more active assist range of motion. So assisted scaption, assisted abduction. And these are actually fairly low stress on the rotator cuff if you compare it to let's say a pulley. So I think it's important that you understand these EMG numbers so you can make some better decisions about which are the best movements to start with as we start to progress uh, into the later stages of rotator cuff repair. We were doing some active range of motion with a prone extension row. Um, 
a prone extension or a rowing motion in prone is actually very low stress on the supraspinatus, so a pretty good place to start, right? We also started to do a little neuromuscular electrical stim at this point, and we started off by stimming the infraspinatus. Uh, thought being is that we don't want to put too much stress on the supraspinatus early on, so we can put the stim directly on the infraspinatus, and over the course of time, we can start to add the stim onto the supraspinatus, which I think we delayed until week 10 we started to put that on. In terms of placement for the stim pads, again, I apologize for the podcasters out there, uh, but generally we use a larger pad and we put it directly over the muscle we want to target. So we take a large pad directly on infraspinatus, and then when we got to week 10, we, we put a large pad directly over supraspinatus. Once we got to week 10, so basically between week 10 and week 12, we bumped things up a bit. So from a strength perspective, we're now working on active range of motion. And again, I'm doing these dailies, two to three sets of 10 to 15 repetitions, and we're focused on scaption, abduction, sideline external rotation, tease, and supine scaption. We're starting to incorporate a little bit of a resisted range of motion, but it's only for prone extension and prone rows, just because these movements are, are very low stress on the supraspinatus. And again, we're incorporating NMES, neuromuscular electrical stim, while we're doing this. We're doing it twice a week each time he's in the clinic with me. And now we're putting the electrodes in more places. So essentially, we, we started with infraspinatus. We added the supraspinatus. We can also put some electrodes on that mid and low trap. Uh, if you're looking at the image on the YouTube video or the video podcast, you can see exactly where these electrodes go to help you if you want to try to set this up on your patients. At this point, we also started to introduce some blood flow restriction training. If you've never heard of BFR before, blood flow restriction training is BFR. Um, you only need a very low load to improve strength and hypertrophy. Excuse me, hypertrophy. Uh, so 20 to 30% of your one rep max to increase strength and hypertrophy at a similar rate as performing uh, heavy lifts at 80% of your one rep max. So if we're concerned about putting too much stress with the rotator cuff, one of the ways we can still get some strength and hypertrophy is by applying blood flow restriction training, which I think is a great idea for these folks. So we did BFR twice a week initially, and uh, we start with lower reps. So traditionally, when you do blood flow restriction training, you do higher reps, 30, 15, 15, 15 is a very typical set and rep scheme. Uh, I usually start with sets of 10 to 15. And if that's tolerated really well, then we start to increase the reps. Because if you take someone that's very, very much used to doing sets of 10 and have them do a set of 30, that's a big jump in, in volume. And it can, be some, it can be pretty aggravating for these folks. So we just slowly increase the reps over the course of time. At this point, we're also doing a little bit of arm and grip work, uh, and that would essentially be unweighted curls with a gripper. So basically taking a hand gripper and squeezing it while you're performing bicep curls and tricep extensions, right? So we did gripper squeeze kickbacks as well as an active assist range or excuse me, active range of motion elbow flexion. So bicep curl with a gripper. When we got to week 12, again, we just bumped things up a little bit more. So all those movements that were active range of motion, we turned them into resisted range of motion, right? And the thing is, once we increase the intensity of exercises, usually, usually I like to have a little bit of rest in between days, right? Or at least we're not doing the movements as frequently uh, as opposed to when they're active range of motion exercises. So in terms of the motions that we were loading, they were scaption, abduction, sideline external rotation, tease wise, prone extension, prone rows, sideline scaption, supine scaption. So think about eventually I want to get back to dumbbell bench press. And if I lay on my back and perform scaption, it's a very similar motion. So it's a, just a specific movement I like to put in my cuff repairs who are trying to get back to strength training in the gym, right? We continue doing NMES with these movements. So targeting infraspinatus, supraspinatus, and the mid and lower trap. 
We also continue on with blood flow restriction training. Uh, we now get back to our high rep step scheme. So we're doing 30 um, repetitions, 15, 15, 15 repetitions of scaption, prone extension, prone row, and arm work. So again, we're just beefing things up, more repetition. In terms of arm strength and grip work, uh, now I'm starting to add load. We did um, bicep curls as well as tricep extensions light with a cable, and we added a little bit more weight. Typically, when you think rotator cuff repair, you don't think to work the arms, but they get weak just like everything else. So we just need to make sure that we have that on our radar and we improve arm strength as we start to progress along. So guys, I have another video that I want you to watch. It's evidence-based guide to rotator cuff repair surgery. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes as well as a link above my head right here. So go ahead and click on that link if you want to continue the learning. And lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. If you're watching this on YouTube, give me a thumbs up. I'd love to hear comments and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to this via podcast, please leave me a positive rating and review. It allows me to continue making great episodes like this in the future. And if you really want to go that extra step and support me further, please consider subscribing to Fitness Pain-Free Insiders. It's a comprehensive online library that's going to level you up as a coach or clinician all you got to do is go to fitnesspainfree.com click on the programs link click on fitness pain free insiders online library there's a trial membership it's super cheap to sign up you'll get some more great learning if you're interested in any of the references i'm going to leave the link in the show notes so you can check those out thanks so much for watching and i'll see you on the next one